How do we mourn with those who mourn and, and love our neighbor well, whether they are Israeli Jews or Arab Palestinians? So that's where my heart and focus is in the last three weeks in particular. Welcome to Act Like Men, Men's Leadership Podcast. This is the podcast designed to be a resource for pastors and leaders of men as they build an engaging ministry with their men. We do this because every man deserves an opportunity to become an authentic, biblically-based man of God. This podcast is sponsored by Men's Minister Catalyst, a ministry designed to do exactly what we just said, guide churches and, and church leadership as they engage ministry with their men. Hello, everyone. My name is Wendell Morton. I'm the Executive Director of Men's Minister Catalyst. Great to have you here today. You are the reason we exist, so thank you for joining. Also good to have uh, Dale Udy, my co-host with us as always. Dale, welcome. Great to be with you, Wendell. You know, we choose topics for this podcast that are meaningful to the leaders of men. And I think we've got one today that brings not only historical context into play, but gives us some um, some ways to get traction in our lives about how we deal with and think about the Middle East. I agree with that. We're privileged today to have Dr. Austin Nuppy. He is a political science professor at Utah State University. He's uh, studied the region that we're going to discuss for over 15 years, wrote a book on ISIS and Iraq, has lived in the region, uh, speaks multiple languages. So Austin, it's so good to have you with us here today. Thanks for taking a few minutes and joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. You bet. Um, I would say Austin is a board member for Men's Minister Catalyst, so I do know Austin from that perspective. I know his family as well, and uh, just a great family. And uh, Austin, we're proud of the work you're doing and uh, very excited for what uh, what you're going to share with us today. Thanks. So let's, let's start with some historical context. I mean, most of us go back to biblical times, you know, with Abraham and realize, you know, hey, this, this all started there. And again, we're talking about what's going on with Israel. And the Hamas in the uh, in the Gaza Strip specifically, but uh, it, it's broader than that. Am I correct? That's right. When I teach this to my students at Utah State, the one thing I want them to remember is that it's a conflict that's not five thousand years old, but actually a hundred years old or less. So you can trace it back to the end of World War One, where the British uh, take control over the region of Palestine under the mandate system. After World War II in 1948, the State of Israel is founded. In the process, 750,000 Palestinians are expelled from their homes. And so when Palestinian communities remember those events, it's not the liberation of their community, but it's the Nakba, it's the catastrophe. And so the roots of the contemporary conflict are 75 years old. Uh, newer still, you can trace it back to the aftermath of the June 1967 war, where the borders between Israel and the occupied territories are redrawn. And there's debates over a one-state solution, a two-state solution. Can you really have... Israelis and Palestinians living in peace side by side in two sovereign states. And between uh, Israel and Hamas and Gaza, that conflict is newer still. It's about 17 years old. It goes back to 2005 with the um, election of Hamas as a political party in Gaza, the, introdu the introduction of a blockade around Gaza's land and sea borders, and then um, patterns of escalating violence between Hamas insurgents and the Israeli military. And stuck in the middle are Israeli and Palestinian civilians 
that have, uh, have suffered uh, mightily because of that conflict. So what's going on with Israel and Hamas specifically is not necessarily a conflict between Israel and Palestine, or is it? Help me understand that. No, and it's not fundamentally, it's not a religious conflict. Of course, our religious identities are important sources of, of what we believe and how we behave and, and who we identify with. But this is primarily a, a, a conflict over borders, uh, territory, and the rights of people to return to their homes. And so um, what makes it particularly thorny is um, on one side, you have the state of Israel with a recognized international military force, a very powerful military backed by the United States and the European Union and other world powers. The Palestinians have multiple political parties that represent their interests. So in the West Bank, you have Fatah, which is part of the Palestinian Authority. The PA is the internationally recognized government of Palestine. So when you go to the United Nations, the Palestinian Authority is, or is the organization that has recognition. In the West Bank, you have Hamas. Hamas uh, comes out of the Muslim Brotherhood movement in the 1920s. It's both a political party and a militant movement. So it's similar to what we saw in Northern Ireland in the, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where you have Sinn Féin, which is an Irish nationalist party, and then you have the provisional Irish Republican Army, which is the armed side. And so in most of the world, outside of um, uh, liberal democracies, you have lots of political parties that also have armed groups attached to them. And so that 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 that's what we're seeing is that in both uh, Israeli political parties and in Palestinian uh, parties, you have movements that have a short-term interest in derailing peace process. And that's been the case since the failure of the Oslo Accords in 2000. The last 20 or 25 years have been a story of political extremists spoiling uh, a common ground in the middle, trying to figure out how do you have two sovereign states existing side by side, coexisting, uh, despite some pretty profound uh, um, ethnic, religious, and political differences. Well, it's a challenge. I mean, one of the things here in the U.S. is we're a little isolated from the rest of the world because we're in a continent by ourselves with Canada and Mexico. Um, so we don't have, we don't understand that pressure of being so tight geographically and so different uh, spiritually and, and and maybe even ethnically would be another way to say that. So mm. uh, I'm not sure we fully the average American fully understands why the pressure is so intense. Uh, over there and why these eruptions continue to occur over right. time. Right. So you talked to us once about, uh, you know, three different people we need to be learning from or talking to in a journey such as this so that we get away from, you know, being so emotionally connected, but really in a, in a student's mindset of trying to learn from. You want to talk us through what those three are? Yeah, sure. So when I do field work, uh, either research or take students to the region, uh, there are three different individuals that really help me do my job effectively. So I speak Arabic, but I'm not fluent. It takes a lifetime to, to master a uh, language like Arabic. And so you need interpreters. Interpreters help you uh, in conversation, right? They're an intermediary between two, two or more parties that translate language, um, body language, verbal language, et cetera. So you need interpreters first. You need translators second. Translators deal with text, whether newspapers or interview transcripts or movies. Uh, they help you understand not only what's being said, but the broader context in which that's being said. And how do you um, cultivate cultural intelligence in terms of the speech and, and words that are used? And the third is uh, is a fixer. A fixer uh, is, is a common position that journalists rely on. It's kind of like a tour guide. But when you're working in more adventurous settings or in the developing world, you have individuals that help you navigate people's behavior. 
So they may pick you up at the airport. They may help you get a visa. They may give you access to interviewing a government official. They may help you get safely from point A to point B. But fixers give you insights into the behavior of people. They welcome you into contexts that are different than your own. And so just as those three positions are helpful uh, for me to do my job effectively, I think as, as Christians uh, engaging in our own workplaces, doesn't doesn't matter if it's the Middle East or on a university campus or in a local workplace. We need to be individuals that um, exhibit wisdom and discernment and serve as in, interpreters and translators and fixers. It's a great, uh, great setup for trying to understand, you know, how how we should be viewing, how we should see right. things, how we should learn from uh, mm. those who are, are native to the area, whatever that area happens to be. I think that's those, those are principles for life that I think are very, very helpful. Talk about the church in the Middle East specifically, not just Israel, although Israel or Hamas or in uh, uh, Gaza, wherever. Uh, you, you, you're very experienced there. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so the largest uh, uh, Christian plurality populations in Lebanon, you have about a third of the Lebanese population are Maronite Catholics. That's an Eastern Rite Catholic order. So it's in fellowship with Rome, but it's part of the Eastern Church, which obviously goes back to the first century. Uh, when you talk about Israel and Palestine, the majority of Christians are in the West Bank and perhaps in Nazareth. And so if you recall, um, the Palestinian territories are divided between the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Uh, and then the, the state of Israel, of course. In Gaza, you have something like 40,000 Christians left. So the church is an existential crisis in Gaza. It goes back to the second or third century. There have been believers in, in the Gaza region for a long, long time. And just in the last three weeks, we've seen um, uh, collateral damage to a Greek monastery and church that killed something like two, uh, two dozen or so um, Palestinian believers. Uh, of that of that small congregation. And so you have um, Greek Orthodox community. You also have a Catholic parish in Gaza that has been beleaguered for a long, long time. The majority of Christians, when you when you uh, go uh, for business or on, on, on a tour to Israel, you're going to encounter Christians in Bethlehem and Nazareth. Bethlehem is not that far from Jerusalem, but it's a world away in terms of politics and just the ability to, 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 to drive there. It's, it's a short drive, but um, there's a militarized border between eastern uh between Jerusalem and Bethlehem uh, and so uh, when you cross the different checkpoints and get to uh, get to Bethlehem you're going to encounter lots of Arab Palestinian Christians and um their concerns and the challenges they face are fundamentally different than uh, than many Israelis um living under uh, under an occupation um uh, to those communities and, and and really having that be being escalated since the 1967 war and so Palestinian uh, uh, Christians are an important voice that we we tend to forget about when we go to the region and we want to see um, the, the Mount of Olives and and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and all these great sites, right? We maybe go to Bethlehem for a lunch visit or half a day. We see the Church of the Nativity, but we don't really um, engage with, with Christians. There are the other communities up by the Sea of Galilee that's part of the state of Israel in the city of Nazareth. Nazareth is an Arab-Palestinian uh, majority um, city. And the uh, it is inhabited by Palestinian citizens of Israel, and so many are Israeli passport holders, but they're that they identify as uh, Arab Palestinians, and the majority of which are Christians. And so you have three different Christian populations that um, have ancient, ancient roots in the region, yet face profound challenges. And that a lot of times in our uh, when Westerners, particularly Americans, go to the region on tours, we just fail we fail uh, we fail to engage with them meaningfully. 
and understand that. And of course, there's a, a small, small minority of Christian converts in the state of Israel, whether they are um, Israeli Jews or um, uh, Ethiopians or other ethnic and religious minorities and that than, uh, that have converted to Christianity. But there's they're something like 1% or 2% of Israeli mm. citizens, very, very small population. This is helpful. This is a good insight, good overall viewpoint on um, on what's going on there. And I think from a church perspective, certainly gives us a different perspective. Mm. Obviously, you know, with the Jews um, having been the chosen ones forever, you know, our loyalty is to Israel from a, a political standpoint. But it's much bigger than that as we look at the region and try to understand the work that God might be doing in that area. And uh, I, I appreciate your insights, your, your expertise there. Thank you for sharing that. Dale, do you have any questions that are on top of your head? Well, you know, it keeps coming back to this. Sometimes I feel like I'm at a loss. Even how do I pray for what the world events are going on there? And uh, Austin, I guess what I would ask you as a as a man of faith yourself and Certainly, I you know want to understand, but I don't have your background and your adept knowledge of the of what the true context and the historical context is there. Give us an, an idea. What would you challenge Christian men to pray for? What should be at the on their prayer list when we think about the events of what's going on? And obviously, there's there's always the imminent um, uh, terror that that can always come and. Things can can unfold and 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 blow up in many quick ways, and I, I I mean that easily. But how do we pray? How do we pray? What would you challenge our our listeners of this podcast? What would you challenge them how to pray? That's a great question. I think that fundamentally gets back to it. You know, I um been studying the region for the last fifteen years, and it's it's tempting to um, resolve some of our anxiety or angst or confusion by making political statements of I stand. With the Israeli government or the people of God or these sort of things, it, for most of us, even myself, it's not the fundamental matter of wisdom and discernment is not some grand political statement. And so, I don't really, uh, in some respects, I pray for geopolitics and I pray for political relations between Israelis and Palestinians. But more and more, um, I think wisdom and discernment dictate that we uh, learn how to grieve and lament um, well. Yeah, uh, Western Christians, Americans in particular, we're not very uh, well. Uh, versed in grief and lament and that's it's a really profound and important motif in scripture that we learn how to mourn with those who mourn and, and so when i um pray for the conflict i've had uh, friends and colleagues um uh, in gaza and in the west bank and then also in jerusalem and tel aviv that have lost um people in this conflict and so from my um uh, israeli and jewish friends they help me appreciate uh, really understanding um, the cultural context of the Old Testament, whether it's the Torah, first five books of our uh, Hebrew Bible, or otherwise, they give me uh, wisdom there. My Palestinian uh, Christian friends and colleagues remind me of a prayer for justice and that the Lord fundamentally cares about freeing the oppressed. And um, just like we've seen in Russia and Ukraine or in Sudan or Ethiopia or Iraq or Afghanistan and elsewhere, uh, there's a role um, for praying for, for justice, calling people to account and also remembering the imprecatory Psalms, right? That the Lord would exact his justice on people yeah. that are guilty of, of hurting or killing innocents. And so, um, yeah, praying in particular for um, friends and colleagues that have been uh, affected through grief, lament, and, and mourning. And a lot of times, 
Um, if we know people personally affected, we just don't have the words. And so the wise thing to do is not to have make a political statement or even say much of anything, but show up to someone's house, food, spend time with them, pray for them, tell them that you're um, I'm lifting them up in prayer, advocating for people that don't have a voice. And for American Christians, that means listening primarily to our brothers and sisters, our Arab uh, Palestinian Christians in, in the West Bank and in Gaza um, uh, with an open ear and being um, comfortable or being willing to listen to some difficult truths about that conflict in terms of how the Israeli government or parts of the Israeli government or military have treated them. And so that that's going to create lots of, I think, dissonance and, uh, and, and, and confusion on our part. But if we just sit with that, and ask for for wisdom and discernment. Um, I think that's where the Lord wants us. He wants us part of those difficult conversations where we're reliant on on His uh, wisdom and help, and that we uh, love people well uh, in the mm. midst of that. Very helpful. Very helpful. That's Thank good. you. That's very very good. That's tremendous. And listen, I, I wish there were an easy bow we could put on this conversation and wrap it up and say, hey, you know, we we fixed that one. Now we're gonna put it on the shelf and move on to another one. That's just not possible in situations right. like this. And, but your your insight into, um, you know, what is God doing and how can we get God to provide uh, support and encouragement for those who grieve and those who are lost? Um, because there is so much loss of life. There's so many family members who are being killed on, on both sides specifically. But it, it's a bigger issue of, of, God, what are you trying to do? How are you trying to bring people to yourself? through the middle of all this you didn't create the war but how are you how are you bringing people to yourself through the middle of this and how can we sit with those who who do mourn those who are hurting in, in these challenges and, and unfortunately this probably won't be the last one that we're yeah. going to have to deal with not in the region not only in the region but around the world and so we do see this a lot i, I do love that a friend of mine once said you know the best thing i could offer somebody who's hurting is just to become god with skin on God was skin on. Just show up. Just Present. be there. The presence of God, representing the presence of God in the lives of those who are mourning, those who are hurting, those who are confused, those who are angry, those who yeah. are frustrated, those who, uh, you know, just don't have an answer to what's going on. And we don't need to be the answer man, Austin. I, I appreciate that. Uh, coming from a PhD professor whose job it is to provide direction and clarity, comes and says, listen, best thing we can do is just be with people in the middle of this. Yes, we have insight. Yes, we have history. Yes, we can provide context. Certainly can't provide clarity on the future. That's exactly how things are going to end up. So, Austin, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it yes. so much. Good insight. Very, very helpful. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good. Thank you. So this has been a very important topic um, and certainly relevant for our times. Whenever you listen to this podcast, um, it's it's relevant because whether the conflict is over or not over, the tension is still there. And so this this is, a, 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 in my mind, a, a very, very important uh, opportunity. Just a reminder, these podcasts are launched on the first and third Thursdays of every month. If you've not yet subscribed, please do so. Please also rate our podcast. Give us uh, things that you'd like to hear as well, because we definitely uh, want to be a part of that. Until next time, thank you for coming. Thanks for joining. You are the reason we exist because every man deserves an opportunity to become an authentic, biblical based 